Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hey friends, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Cattleman's Call podcast. I am Lane Nordland, happy to be with you as always, continuing to have the conversations over the phone or in person, but we're in the time of COVID-19, so everything is over the phone right now, but uh, today's show, friends, I think you are really going to enjoy the conversation we are about to have. We are turning our attention to Minnesota, and on the phone with us right now is the owner of Blondie's Butcher Shop. Lindsay Fulton Loken is on the phone with us right now. And uh, Lindsay, uh, how are things going here today as uh, we all social distance but continue to carry on with our, our, our businesses across the countryside? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Lane. Thanks so much for having me. Um, excited to be on Cattleman's Call. Um, what what COVID, what virus? <laughs> it's kind of how I feel. I was, um, I think, hoping like everybody else, I could quarantine and do my spring cleaning early and get a jump start on all things. And I feel like I'm back in the throw of September, October, uh, mm-hmm. harvesting just as many beef, if not more, and pigs and yeah, kind of crisis mode going on at the moment. So, well, I, I, lots I, to cover. <laughs> a lot to cover, and I think crisis mode is a good way to describe it for everyone involved in, in, in cattle and beef production right now. Uh, uh, first, uh, Lindsay, I, maybe how we'll set this up because you have such an interesting story to tell. First, could we maybe just talk about Blondie's Butcher Shop first, and then I want to rewind a little bit because you and I have a Montana connection. Uh, but what? Let's just. Talk talk about Blondie's Butcher Shop in Wanamingo, yeah. uh, Minnesota. Uh, let's just talk about this uh, business opportunity that, that you were able to uh, join and uh, really just make your own here over the past few years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a granddaughter of a feedlotter here in, in the Corn Belt in southeastern Minnesota. Uh, my mom was a large and small animal vet tech, so I spent more time, I think, um, in vet vehicles and vet clinics than I ever did in daycare. Um, and I think if you ask anybody I grew up with, you know, if I'm how I ended up in a meat locker, they, they would shake their head and be like, there's no way Lindsay would ever, you know, harvest animals for a living. Cause that was just never me. I mean, it was get off the school bus and whatever local farmer had a calf, you know, whether it was stovepiped legs or umbilical issues and they didn't have time for it. It was sitting in my yard. So that was kind of how I grew up was getting everything to survive and live. And now I'm now I'm on the opposite end of it completely, completely. <laughs> so we're, uh, the, the town is Wanamingo in Minnesota. Let's maybe just talk about the, the size of your business and how many employees and uh, and how how your butcher shop is maybe set apart differently from other butcher shops in the area or the nation. Sure. So I'm extremely traditional. My place was built in 1934. Um, I think we're we're close to the 80th mark, if not over it. I'd have to do my math. Um, and it's definitely a 1930s building, and I'm feeling those pains at the moment, um, outgrowing it and just the wears and tears. Um, I'm the fourth owner. I'm the first girl owner. Um, and we're literally located in Podunkville, southeastern Minnesota. I'm in a real rural community, farming community, um, a very supportive community. Everybody that works with me is a local, either retired dairy farmer or a, a young farmer up and coming or uh, just an avid country person. 
and our, we happen to be a pink building. Um, and I'm obviously a blonde and it kind of started as a joke. You know, a lot of my, my elder, um, customers that would bring beef in would always just kind of joke, well, I got a beef going to Blondie's this weekend. And, uh, people started writing checks out to Blondie's butcher shop and we all were kind of taken back by it. And I'm like, well, let's just roll with it. Um, so yeah. So now we've gone from one Amingo meats to Blondie's butcher shop and you know, it gets looks and it's pink and we give everybody something to talk about and you know, we're off the beaten path. So it's kind of fun to, to come to the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you're like, you've got to be kidding me. It's a Pepto Ismal pink <laughs> building on the end of main street. So, so yeah, we're, we're small, we're traditional, you know, um, I've probably got between 10 to 12 employees year round and, uh, probably four or five full timers, the rest part time or on weekends, Mm -hmm. but yeah, pretty traditional for a Midwest locker. So Lindsay, let's maybe back up uh, a a few years uh, uh, until we get back to the, the pink painted butcher shop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you probably a lot of people and maybe yourself didn't picture yourself owning a butcher shop. Uh, let's maybe talk about growing up, uh, you know, as a vet tech's daughter and uh, and uh, growing up in production agriculture in that part of the nation and and how you made your way west and, and chose one of the greatest land grant universities there ever is, Montana State <laughs> University, as your university of choice. But uh, let's maybe share that a little bit of that background of your story. Yeah, so my background has absolutely no rhyme or reason as to how I got to where I am today. Um, it's kind of a a story of just, you know, following opportunity and trying new things. Um, I've always been infatuated with being out West. Um, my, um, you know, primarily growing up in, in the veterinary world as a kid and, and, you know, working with local dairy farms, sick calves or... Um, I had an infatuation with saving runt pigs from farms, um, which ended up being buried in my sandbox, you know, when they would pass away. And um, so I was always on the saving side of things, got into the horse industry um, as a young girl, very, very passionate about that. Did the 4-H, FFA, um, got to be part of the state officer team my senior year of high school, um, you know, did the state fair, the, the whole gamut of the traditional Midwest you know, farm kid, country girl. So um, from there on, I um, was super infatuated with the horse world. And at that point in time, you know, it was Bob Avila was a big horse trainer. Pat Pirelli was, you know, really hot on the market for training. Um, Marlene McRae Edelman, the big barrel racer, you know, people I watched on VHS tapes, I should say, as my daughters laugh at me, Um, (laughs) you know, growing up. So I kind of set out to work with as many trainers as I could to really hone my my skills in. Um, ended up going, leaving for Pat Pirelli's ranch in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, uh, the day after I graduated high school. Got down there, was there for a couple of weeks, and got to know a gal that was in a class above me who had just gotten married to this Montana rancher. Um, and that was about that. Went um, Went on with my training. And happened to be running back to the barn one day to use the ladies' room. And instead of concrete sidewalks, they had P-Rock sidewalks. And, of course, I bolted and was rounding the corner at Mach 90. And 
here came the Mr. Bill Galt around the other corner and I body slammed him and proceedingly fell flat on my back between his legs. And that was the beginning of the end of the story for me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Bill um, offered me a job a couple of weeks later. He'd watched me work Colts and um, I said, heck yeah. So training with more trainers kind of went out the window and I promptly found myself in White Sulphur Springs, Montana as a, you know, naive 18 year old who had come from more of, you know, the dairy corn belt than the big range cattle operations. So um, I've had a good shot of experiencing kind of both worlds of the cattle industry and uh, worked with Bill for, um, gosh, I think I was there for about a year and um, ended up heading down to MSU studying animal science and biology. Kind of went on to be a paramedic after that and shared in Wyoming, spent quite a few years down there and um, kind of found myself getting the the medic burnt out, the emergency um, medicine. It was great, but definitely feeling the burnout of the abuse of the healthcare system. And, um, you know, when you start feeling that way, you, you need to step out of it, you know, for a while. Talking with my dad one day on the phone, he's like, well, you know, you can always come home. He's like, the meat lock, lockers for sale across the street from his welding shop. And I kind of thought he was joking at first. <laughs> then he called me back a couple days later, and he's like, no, seriously, it's it's going to shut down completely. The previous owner had passed away, and, you know, the price is right. If you fail at it, you know, you fail at it. You know, we'll just liquidate, and it would be fair. Well, six years later, I'm still here and learning something new every day. And uh, yeah, that's that's my long and short of the story is how I ended up in the, the meat locker business. So from cow-calf to, to processing now, is it's been a stretch, that's for sure. So obviously you, you took that leap of faith, uh, walked across the street from, uh, from the welding shop and... Uh, uh, and really started into a business that obviously is essential or, or well let me rephrase that obviously back you know 40 50 years ago every town had that main street butcher shop right and that is just something you know uh, families maybe don't continue on the legacy they just uh, retire they don't sell it on or whatnot and and i just think the main street butcher shop is just a part of that american way of life and obviously so what, agree yeah what, what, what i guess what were some of those big challenges from from day one that you're that you're like oh my goodness what did i get myself into or, or maybe some of those days were like this I, I i this i'm so glad i did this what from day one what were some of those things that you, you really just had to learn on your own or, or ask people for help on yeah i um i i hadn't one employee that stayed on with me um and, you know, try to teach me as much as possible. Um, and that's really all that there was there was the one employee that was just running kind of the whole place. Um, you know, I associated myself really fast with the Meat Processors Association of Minnesota, um, which I have to say is probably one of the coolest groups of people you will ever meet. Um, I don't think I've ever met. And I'm from small town USA, you know, where beer drinking is popular. Um, you go with the butcher crew. I mean, you're really going to see beer drinking and fun and, uh, smart Alex and, you know, just really great human beings all around. Um, 
a big group of meat lockers in my area. I have at St. Joe's Meat Market up in St. Cloud, which is a couple hours away. Um, took me under their wing and I went and worked with them for about a week straight. And they just put me on the saw and taught me how to cut and cut and cut and cut. I had done, you know, moose, elk, whitetail, muleys, deer butchering on the ranch, you know, and we had harvested our own fats on the ranch just for the staff. So it was super rusty, you know, with cutting beef. I had done it. Um, I had never cut a pig before, so that was new to me as well. Um, so I really didn't know anything about butchering when I we bought the place. I mean, it was jump in the deep end and either you're going to sink or swim. So, which isn't an abnormal thing for me either. But, um, yeah, so between them, I've got, you know, my area in southeastern Minnesota is really dense in meat lockers, um, which is a great thing. And people always ask us, how are you not competing against each other? And I mean, there's just so much business to be had that, you know, you would be so in the wrong to not be friends with your fellow locker just because you need each other so much, you know. Can you handle this? Do you have this seasoning? Do you have extra paper? And um, so, you know, Greg's Meats, um, Erdman's Meats down in Casson, everybody has just been so good to me and taken me under their wing with any questions I have or this sausage blew up in my smoker. What do I do with it? So, <laughs> Oh, I know what you did. You don't have to bring it down. I'll just tell you how to fix it. <laughs> so that was first and foremost, you know, and then I was introduced to the consumer and the farmer and really found myself being a middleman and seeing how much sometimes they misunderstood each other. You know, they were from two very different worlds. And I found myself a lot of the times being the middleman in a lot of those situations. And then you add media to it and um, social media and things they see and read. And then they have questions. And I found myself getting questions that I couldn't even answer. So, so I associated really fast with, you know, the Minnesota State Cattlemen's Group Um for any educational help I could possibly get um, to better represent this industry, you know, that I grew up with, that I loved, that was kind of my roots and, um, you know, do it right and keep a good consistent business going and educate a consumer at the same time who may be confused or are looking for something specific. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we did. The Minnesota state cattlemen's group, um, directed me a lot to work with the Minnesota Beef Council, University of Minnesota's uh, Meat Science Lab Extension Group. Dr. Cox has been amazing. Um, anytime they were cutting something up, I would, you know, try to get up there and help or learn. And I hope they repeat things so I can learn something the second time that I might have already heard the first time. <laughs> but <clears throat> so it really was just a nosedive. You know, there wasn't any planned agenda or had I any clue what I got into, um, you know, ignorance was definitely bliss in that situation. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously you had a passion for the entire industry and that passion for the meat aspect of it truly blossomed. And in that passion, obviously I, I've never met you in person and I can just feel your energy, energy for, the, for your business and for all participants, whether it's the producer or the consumer. So when we yeah, look thank at, you. yeah. And when we look at the day to day, 
What's it take to continue to keep Blondie's Butcher Shop running? What are some, you know, of the traditional methods, whether it be outreach or just processing in general or or just new strategies that you've learned from just being associated with uh, uh, other other butchers or the cattlemen's group? What, what are some of those day in and day out uh, planning and strategies that, that keep the doors open and keep people coming back to buy beef? Well, you know, I think first and foremost is just a really great clientele base. Um, That was one thing I learned really fast was, um, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to try to use you or abuse you or try to pull something over you because one, you're, you're a new butcher, you know, some people, whether they're male or female, you know, because I am a girl, you know, they, they try to be a little more aggressive or maybe try to bully you into some things. Um, I've experienced a lot of different personalities in this situation. And, um, you know, six years has been very good to me in kind of weeding out down to where I have this really great clientele base. And whether that's my farmers, you know, or my, my walking through the door consumers, um, you know, we've, they've been continue continuing and, and coming back and, and really supporting us. Um, you know, second would be my really great team that I work with. Um, I've got a girl, we're primarily a female butcher shop, which is kind of funny and it was never planned to be that way. Um, I've just have a, had a lot of girls in the area, you know, that either were avid hunters and come in and I've got one lady who raps for me. Her family is avid hunters. I've got a young girl that's been with me since high school, went to UW River Falls for, she did, um, animal nutrition with an emphasis in meat science. And she primarily does most of my harvesting and cutting now. Um, and of course she's 21. So I'll let her (laughs) save on my back a little bit. Um, but you know, it's, I've just got a really great team that, that keeps the things going because the work is, you know, even compared to ranching or milking cattle for a living, uh, it's hard work. It is, extremely physical hard work and the funny thing about the locker from 1934 you can see the changes in the beef carcass over the span of years you know from what they used to be of you know four or five hundred pound carcasses up to gosh i had a steer come in this winter that was well over butcher weight and i think he gosh i think he hung at 2100 pounds Yeah, he was a big boy. We had to eight him to get him in the cooler. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, you know, lots of less repairs and upkeep um, in the locker. And we're just constantly, continually educating ourselves, trying to find easier ways to do things, faster ways. Um, I'm five foot three, so... There's a lot of pulley systems in the locker, a lot of wenches, you know, a lot of assistant type things to move stuff. Because um, honestly, cattle, you know, they're they're bigger these days. They're more finished. They're well rounded. You know, they're they're not a smaller 500 pound carcass compared to what they were, you know, even say in the 70s. So, so as far as keeping my place going, those are kind of my my main components. You know. Um, to be successful. And so far it's been working for me so far. (laughs) 
So, so when we when we look at the acquisition of of, of the meat, do you uh, custom cut as well? Do you go out and work with producers and, and say and buy a certain number of head uh, every few weeks? How do you go about purchasing your product? Yeah, so I'm what Minnesota considers custom exempt. Um, so I primarily work for the farmer. Um, or rancher, depends on what side of the river you're on you want to be called. I've learned that one, too. And that cutoffs in South Dakota, it's that, that east-west river. Um, your farmer's on one side, rancher's on the other. So, you know, primarily I work for them. So they would sell out quarters, halves, or whole beef. Um, <clears throat> and it's been really, really great. You know, the crew that I have, my customer base, they'll come in. I'm like, come in, check out your carcass. You know, let me show you, maybe get your nutritionist involved. Um, this is you feeding whole corn, you know, this is cracked corn. Here's the difference in your di- digestive tracts. Um, you know, how much waste you're having, what they're actually breaking down and digesting versus what they're not digesting. Um you know, Holstein cattle can be a little harder to finish out than than a beef animal, for sure. And it takes a talented person to do it. Um, you know, those animals, you're dealing with a bigger bone structure. Um, you're dealing with an animal that is producing more dairy fat. So it's going to third space that fat a lot more than a, a beef carcass would, a beef animal would. Um, so that means, you know, a thicker fat cover on your loins, um, more belly fat. And I think a lot of my farmers really never grasp how much belly fat animals can really put on. Um, I think my biggest one, I've, I've weighed belly fat in at like 70 to 80 pounds, Oof. you know, and that belly fat holds the animal's kidneys as well. So it's, um, it's really interesting that they can come in and I encourage them to, you know, to provide a better product. You know, if they can provide a top line product, the consumer is gaining, you know, more meat per pound versus paying for more waste. So that's, that's a really huge thing, you know, especially when a customer is calculating, you know, how much they paid for this quarter and how much it weighed. And well, I only got 50% of my meat, you know, so we have to talk about that. And there's a lot of educating on the consumer side. Um, there, you know, over the years, I think there's become such a disconnect and this younger generation coming up is very different from my generation in the fact that I remember a steer hanging in my grandparents' tree in the front yard. You know, I remember butchering chickens on the farm. Um, these, this younger group doesn't have that connection anymore. It's, it's not a commonality you see, um, very often, you know, in my area, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a steer hanging in a shed, but, um, you know, in more of the metropolis type areas, they want the story now, you know, they come into the small town butcher shop because they want the connection to their food. Um, they want to know the farmer. And, um, so it's been really, really interesting, um, putting the two together and, and, um, there's just a lot of educating on the consumer's behalf um, on how things work and, you know, what kind of meat are you looking for? And mm-hmm. we're always, we're very not judgmental, you know, they'll come and be like, well, I want organic, I want grass fed, you know, and we'll talk through it, yep. you know, and I'm, I'm just grateful they're eating beef, the bottom line, you know. 
So we we keep demonstrated pictures, you know, whether it's a grass-fed carcass, um, more of a corn-finished carcass, something organic. And I show people, you know, these carcasses, what's the difference between them? What might be a texture or flavor difference? And let them make the choices. So, so yeah, that's definitely been um, um, a learning curve for me as well, you know, to become educated in and knowledgeable in all of those topics. You mentioned that you use resources from the Minnesota Cattlemen's uh, Group and and also from the the Beef Council there on the state level and probably on the national level too. Um, great recipe resources and nutrition facts and, and research. Uh, how much easier does it make your day knowing that those resources are there and that that is industry reinvestment into the industry? Huge tenfold, you know, and I go out and talk to a lot of the local cattle groups as much as they'll invite me and let me, um, you know, to know that that investment is that they're putting back in to these associations is, is huge. You know, um, I have a whopping four four cows, my little cow calf operation. So as far as speaking from the producer's standpoint, I, I don't have, you know, a pedestal stand on, but I will go and lobby, you know, with the groups if they need an extra voice or, um, you know, somebody quick to show up at this watershed meeting or whatever. Um, all the resources I, I have used tenfold and I could not be more grateful for them. I couldn't be as successful in my business and in teaching the consumer and not only communicating what the consumer wants, but communicating that to the producers as well, you know, so they're getting the highest price point for what they're producing and for all their hard work. Um, That's, I think the biggest thing is people don't realize how much work it is until now all of a sudden you're seeding this pandemic of so-called food shortage, which we all know really isn't there processing shortage. Yes. You know, um, but the food source is definitely there. So as far as resources, I mean, we've got <clears throat> Chuck Knows Beef app, which is great. I have people download the app quick because everybody has their cell phone on them. Um, I'm like, you know, try this cut, do this. And even even myself, I never in a million years would have looked at a flank steak or a tri-tip and been like, you know, yeah, let's cook that up tonight. You know, I mean, I look at those cuts. I'm like, oh, that's a hind quarter tri-tip, you know, bottom round, top round, right in there. Flank steak is a belly cut. No, just put it in my hamburger. I don't have time. Those are now two of my favorite cuts, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do videos on Facebook and we promote them. Um, So even stuff like that, I've had to learn, you know, recipes. We do a lot of marinating, give people um, ideas on how to cook. You can ask Alexa how to cook. And they'll do that. They send a lot of promotional materials out for us too, especially around the holidays. Obviously, we sell a lot of prime rib. Um, we've kind of become with our claim to fame and little Podunkville here um, for aging steaks, meats, loins, tenderloins. Um, so that's been a huge, huge draw to us is is wet aging meats. And so, you know, as far as all the resources go, you know, I make sure I appear if there's something in government that needs to be discussed or a representative needs to be called. I try to stay as on track with that as possible. 
you know, getting out there with a lot of the groups doing food and wine shows, you know, we'll cook up steaks and give, you know, samples away or meatballs. We do a lot of that stuff. Um, I try to give back as much as I have received in training. Um, They did the top of the class program, which I think I was the first class, the, the pilot program for it here in the state. And it was amazing. Um, you know, we brought in everything from uh, media attorneys, you know, to kind of teach us how to talk. You know, there's always going to be some form of activism that we all know um, that can shine a negative light. You know, really, how do you handle that and not become an emotional reactor to those types of situations? Um, you know, language to not turn people off. Uh, all sorts of things as far as media on that behalf. Um, you know, we've gotten to tour bigger processing plants, which has been hugely informative to me, you know, to see how they do it on a much faster level. Um, and, you know, to be able to say to my customer, listen, I've toured this plant in this state and, you know, I buy, I have no problem buying from there because I know it's clean. I know it's safe. I've seen their protocols. Um, so a lot of experiences with, you know, the resources and the funding that have gone into those things have been very beneficial. So Lindsay, when we look at maybe some issues that you might run to on the state and and the federal level, I would assume that are are you USDA certified? I am not. Okay. So maybe maybe let's just talk about that. What what are some barriers that keep you from being USDA certified? Um, you know, I at times when we originally kind of chatted about doing that, there's a lot of steps to it. So in the state of Minnesota, you have your basic, which is what I am, which is considered custom exempt, which we primarily are there for the farmer. The farmer to sell his quarters. Um, eights, halves, holes, um, to handle emergencies, you know, on the farm within, you know, certain criteria, we can help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step up would be considered an equal to, which would allow you to, um, harvest animals and then sell them in your retail straight out. And then the USDA stamp, of course, you know, would allow you to sell out to, grocery stores, you know, they're what these bigger packing plants are considered USDA. So, um, you know, JDS and Greeley, uh, Green Bay is over here, mm-hmm. um, Nebraska. So they're all considered USDA plants. Um, there's a lot of steps that go into it. And there's actually a lot of paperwork, what I would say would be the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and for us, you know, finding an inspector's availability is tough. Um, to free up an inspector and you're kind of playing with dates when they're available to come. Um, You know, having an inspector on site, they have to be there if you're USDA on the harvest floor as well as while you cut and package the meat. So on both ends, equal to is just the inspector, I believe, on the harvest floor. Um, And then for me, my inspector visits me, you know, when I first bought the place because I had no history with um, the meat locker business, the meat industry, mm-hmm. they were here pretty consistently, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of weeks, you know, now they, they pop in, you know, quarterly, sometimes more than that, sometimes less. And it's just up to their own discretion, 
you know, if they have a repair that they need to check on that I did or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, each, each step up requires different, um, oh, what would be the word different, um, facility upgrades. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. So would I, know. Be, would I be safe to say that, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you really wanted to, you'd pursue, pursue the USDA certification, but at the end of the day, you're serving your region, your local producers. And really that, that's kind of your, that, that's your, uh, your, really your specialty. And, uh, but, uh, am I correct in saying that? What would you want to get USDA Absolutely. certified? Or? You know, it's, it's my bread and butter. Um, the state of Minnesota has been really great. Um, since we've had this whole COVID-19 situation um, and being very consistent and sending emails out of updates. And I've learned fast that these emails, when they come out, you know, within the week, what they're saying might happen usually happens. So they've been really great at, you know, trying to give you a little bit of foresight. Um, they've made contact with us to say, Hey, listen, we know grocery stores are going to be challenged to find cuts of meat. Um, you know, if we need to get you a temporary upgrade to whether it's equal to, um, we'll help you with the paperwork. We'll get an inspector down there and you just, you know, let us know what days you need to harvest those animals so that we could keep filling our shelves, you know, or, you know, potentially help out the local grocery stores to keep meat on the shelves mm -hmm. by harvesting in our facilities. So that's been a really cool thing the state just recently did. But, you know, as far as my primary business, you know, gosh, I, for me to go up, you know, to go to equal two would be nice if I could harvest some stuff to sell outright in retail. It would be more financially beneficial for me than buying in from a middleman packer or buyer for that matter. Um, but right now, I mean, my bread and butter is really in my small farmers. You know, there there's always something that, you know, tears its suspensories, um, something that may potentially break a leg or, you know, an animal that was a runt, it's not going to finish. And, you know, the process or the producer isn't going to get, you know, the money that they they would need out of that animal. So so I, you know, handle a lot of stuff like that you know, which allows that animal A, not to go to waste, B, you know, that producer or farmer to get some product use out of it or make some money financially off of it by selling it. Um, and then above that, you know, a lot of my farmers here have a pretty consistent clientele of people wanting quarters, halves, whole beef. So, I mean, that's, that's my year in a really fast nutshell. Yeah. So, I mean, you've you've mentioned the COVID situation a few times, and it's impacted uh, butcher shops across the nation. Uh, uh, no, no doubt, we, we're seeing uh, backups on on processing for the mom and pop shops like yourself uh, to the small, medium, and large. So, uh, how has that impacted uh, you personally when it comes to folks maybe trying to get some some beef processed uh, uh, sooner than they thought they would? Yeah, I think everybody's been extremely overwhelmed. I think any farmer rancher you talk to would be like, my phone's ringing nonstop. Um, it, it's been really tough, you know, with this whole packing plant shut down. Um, and I know many of those plants have had multiple reasons for their shutdown. And, and I hope just as much as everybody else, they're up and going soon. Um, mostly in my area, obviously, has been the unfortunate situation with the, the hog operators, 
um, you know, with having to start their depopulation. Um, last I heard, they were totaling numbers of uh, probably around 2 million that would have to be depopulated before the plants get up and going. Um, so that's extremely heartbreaking to hear. Um and, you know, as far as my cattle producers, everybody, and even ones I've never heard of, are calling, can you get one in? Can you just do this? Can you, you know, and we're all running at max capacity. Um, my situation was a little different than some of my my cohort butchers. Um, I do a ton of catering, a ton of barbecuing. So this time of year, you know, I usually don't harvest as many animals as a lot of other lockers do. So, you know, when everything kind of hit, it wiped out a good half of my business and just catering. And so here I was kind of sitting there twiddling my thumbs and and then all of a sudden everything just hit. You know, people started calling, um, good friends of ours called and, you know, said, hey, can you get this in? And I'm like, well, we're wide open. So we were able to pull a full crew back in. And, yeah, I feel like we're in fall harvest right now. It's just pure pandemonium (laughs) (laughs) and now hamburger and i don't know what it is out in your guys area um but even for me to buy in a shoulder clod or knuckles for just grinding for hamburger yesterday i was quoted 6.99 a pound my cost Mm -hmm. i know a lot of the big grocery chains are in that 10 11 dollar for a pound of hamburger so it's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing yeah that this is And, you know, the other thing that's super mind-blowing to me, and maybe it's just because, you know, I grew up with grandparents that were very educational about World War II and the Depression. And, you know, so I've kind of become this food hoarder. And just by nature, I've always been that way. Um, How many people live day-to-day by either a food service, whether it be a restaurant, a grocery store, you know, and they don't have anything in their freezer, So I think that's been a huge learning curve for me and how many people were so codependent on, on, you know, just being able to go somewhere and pick one thing up. So I think that's been um, really, really interesting. It's been the silver lining of everything. I've had more people in my place that I have never seen in my six years. So I'm hoping they had a great experience, you know, and they return, you know, so that's been a silver lining, but, but yeah, we, we did a podcast last week too. And, and, uh, I said, it's been crazy. I had to buy a headset. I had to buy all new phones for my locker because we were out talking the batteries on my cordless phones. And, (laughs) uh, you know, my voice was gone by the end of the day. Um, yeah. So we're, we're booked out and I know everybody else is booked out at least into next January, if not February oh. right now. I mean, it, it's just a wild time that, that we truly are living in. And, uh, you know, I mentioned here at the start that there's nothing more American than, than the butcher shop on main street. Right. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I, and I hope we, you know, cause especially here in Montana, these smaller towns, you know, there might be a butcher, uh, shop that's a part of the chain grocery store and whatnot. But I mean, that's my goal as we revitalize these rural communities. I, I hope to see more students pursuing meat science degrees and, and uh, internships uh, with with, uh, with other butchers and really growing all aspects of, of agriculture in our rural communities. And, and we're seeing 
requests for that on Facebook quite a lot right now to 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 be more regional, start co-ops possibly. Yeah. And, and it's something that just can't happen overnight. And, and we all realize that. And what what is your advice to to these people? Maybe some educational tips that hey, this can't happen overnight. This is what I've learned. This is what my mentors have uh, taught me. What what are your advice for for someone that just wants to be able to process uh, a multi species, uh, a several head a day or a week, and or maybe uh, scale it up a little bit? What off the top of your head? What are some concerns? But what are some of those golden opportunities they have at at, at, at being a, a main street business in our rural communities? Yeah, so you're going to make me reach into my hindsight 2020 vision <laughs> here. <clears throat> so, you know, I when I bought the locker, um, at that point in time, that I bought it in October, and that January, the state of Minnesota had passed a bill to not allow any grandfathering of businesses as far as inspection, uh, facility updates, things like that, unless you're relatives. So that was kind of my first knock. Um, that was pretty hard. And you have to have a signed purchase agreement before that inspection can take place. So you, you're purchasing this business for a set amount of dollars, and then you're told, um, you know, what you need to upgrade before you can have your license instated and you can actually hopefully start turning a profit and get out of the red at that point in time. Um, so that was, that was pretty brutal. I mean, there was, you know, $20,000 in flooring that needed to be updated. Um, a cooler floor needed to be updated. What else? Oh, I had some equipment that didn't clear the new grandfathering standards. Um, equipment in butcher shops is not cheap. I don't think you can buy anything under $10,000. Um, maybe a knife. You can get a knife on Amazon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very expensive industry and, and, you know, primarily because there's, there's not a lot of equipment sales around for it. You know, it's become such a dying art, unfortunately. Um, and it's not a hard art to learn. I mean, it's, it's repetitious and it takes time to get your, your science down and, and to learn everything, but by no means is it, is it rocket science? I did it. So that should tell you everything. But um, the upgrading of the facilities is definitely, you know, the most expensive and, and depending on where you want to go, whether you want to stay at custom exempt, if you want to go to the equal to, or even up to the USDA, um, the more levels you go up, the more amount of paperwork um, there's different sets of rules and, and rightfully so, you know, and I, I will say this going from a non meat locker person to a full-time meat locker person. I mean, we, we truly have one of the safest food sources in the world. Um, I think any recall you really see anytime I've heard bigger processors talk about, you know, potential meat recalls that have happened. It's never that that batch was bad. It was maybe because it was potentially bad. And they pull it and they always pull more than probably what the batch could have been because they're the, they're that safe. Um, and, and they're very, I mean, you have to have dates on everything. Temps on this, if you did sticks, what, how fast did it cool down? Um, the classes and the education that you have to go through to really understand everything, you know, it's, it's time consuming. It's enormous. It's, um, 
mind blowing and it's a lot, you know, and you just kind of, um, the state at least with me was really, really good. And okay, now we got to do it this way, you know, try doing this different next time, or this is how I want this paperwork done. So, you know, everything in your place is inspected, whether it's your weights and scales, you know, your smokehouse temps and what your recipes are to your labels, to your dates, etc. So that, you know, hindsight for me was extremely exhausting coming, being somebody who didn't know anything about the butcher industry. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely a reason for it. And I know I've seen a lot of the Facebook blogs too, and, and I've been pulled into a couple of them and I have yet to respond because I'm very, one of those people who has to think before, you know, I respond to something super technical well, and make sure I weigh it, all sides. It's an emotional time too. And it, it is, it is. And, you know, I, I think even I have a lot of questions, you know, why were these packers not more prepared? And I've had, you know, higher up people say, well, it kind of came on fast. And I'm like, I was more prepared, I feel like, than the Packers were sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been really frustrating, you know, especially when you're considering yourself as a, at a 5% source to the human population to feed and just all of a sudden disappear and shut down. Um, so even I have a lot of questions about that. And then to have, you know, all that pressure thrown back on you and to hear your your farmers and ranchers call and you can hear it in their voice. You know, I mean, they don't know what to do. They can't move cattle. You know, I can't really keep feeding them. I got to I got to, you know, cut them back a little bit so they're not overweight. Um, And even for the consumer to understand that, you know, when you get into a lot of these big processing plants you know, they're robotic. So animals have to be a specific size in order to fit through the processing plant. Um, So that's always, you know, there's so many pieces and parts to it all. And I wish we could have, you know, pop-up meat lockers and and things right now to help out more. But there's a reason we don't, and it's it's food safety, Mm -hmm. you know. And I've been at my level long enough to see the other the dark, let's call it the dark side, you know, and the, the dark side of, you know, people maybe utilizing animals that really should be in what I would, you know, consider a dead pile. They need to be composted. They do not need to be consumed. Um, because, you know, sometimes people are desperate to, to make that buck, you know, to make something off that animal instead of it being wasted, you know, and you got to draw the line there because that's your license on that behalf. That's the person that's going to consume that animal, you know, could potentially be extremely ill and worst case scenario, be poisoned to the point to where they could lose their life over it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of working parts to that functioning cog, you know, it's, it's not a real simple fix. Um, People, you know, who want to get started in it. I think there's, there's a lot of great things and, in my forward site, you know, I won't be this big of a butcher forever. You know, my body can't keep up and do it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be 40 this year. So if you compare me to my, my little 20 year old that works at the locker, I mean, she kicks my butt every day. Um, and I miss those days, you know, (laughs) when I could work like that, but I will continue to butcher, you know, I would bring an on-farm butcher, um, 
place, which is really great. And this is what they do in a lot of rural areas in Minnesota. Um, you set up, you go through the inspection process. Um, you put a hide a key and a lock outside your door. You know, you do your paperwork just like everybody else does. And your inspector shows up whenever. Check your paperwork, check your place. You know, whether you're there or not, they'll stop in. Um, I will continue to do that and just, you know, process because, boy, what is the median age of Minnesota? I want to say there's like maybe there's under 20 of us in the state that are under 40. And so that that's really scary for for the small town butcher shop right now mm-hmm. um, that that art is is going to go by the wayside. And I think we're learning a lot of valuable lessons right now as to how valuable the small processor is um, with people, you know, going, oh, my gosh, you know, we depended on the grocery store and most of them don't even have meat saws anymore, you know, and that's really where you're seeing the shortages is where where the meat counters are all prepackaged, you know, bought in, you know, cuts of sorts. Um, other really great things people can get into, um, you can, you know, buy, buy a fifth wheel trailer, put all the equipment into it, um, go to a farm, harvest an animal on the farm. And as long as that animal never leaves the farm, um, you know, you would process it the day you harvested it. You know, the animal obviously couldn't hang unless you had a mobile cooler. Um, you would either grind it on the farm and you could skip a lot of legalities in that way. And that's kind of one of the gray areas that the state offers, you know, that it never left the property. Therefore, it's still just considered their animal. And, and that's that. So that's another cool thing you can do, too. <clears throat> just go farm to farm with a rig. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not, you know, super great for an animal you're going to harvest that, you know, could use some some hang time to break down, you know, a nice finished animal. Um, my place, they'll hang anywhere from two weeks. I have people who request three weeks, um, which is totally fine. You know, you're just going to lose more water on your carcass and not have as much take home, but they prefer that, that better broke down animal. Um, so there's there's a lot of options and a lot of ways you can go, you know, with it. But um, I'm hoping that this whole I keep trying to focus on the silver lining of this whole thing um, with all the shutdowns and, uh, you know, the deficits that I think a lot of states are going to have. A lot of people are going to have um, where where we're going to make up for that. You know, I really hope. People step up and say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, maybe maybe we could start a meat locker. And and I'm more than willing to teach anybody who wants to know what not to do. <laughs> First and foremost, I'll tell you what not to do. But um, yeah, I think it's brought a lot of people back to the rural communities and, and saying, okay, you know, we need to take care of ourselves, not be so codependent. Um, yeah, be more prepared. You know, we really haven't had anything like this that's really, really affected our country. I mean, I think 9-11 was probably the last big thing. Um, But as far as, you know, depression or war type eras when shortages were so vast, um, you know, technology is much more advanced now compared to then. But, um, you know, they always say history repeats itself. and, And not that this is a repetitive thing, but you know, hopefully it's an educational thing for a lot of things to put better plans in place to look back and say, okay, what could we have done better or different? Um, 
Yeah. So COVID has been um, a really interesting effect on the food source. Very, very interesting. And I'm still trying to figure out where the whole toilet paper thing came from. <laughs> I, I still have too. to scratch my head on that one. You, you know, that's one thing I, you see a lot of uh, uh, farm and ranch folks out there making posts like people come up and try to shame them for, for buying uh, supplies at Walmart or Costco. And, and farmers or ranchers buy in bulk because <laughs> you live out of town and you might have, you know, whether you don't have kids at home or you have five or six kids, you have to buy a lot of food because you don't want to be making trips back to town. So I, I just think right. farms and ranchers always have, have that in bulk. And I, I, I just have never wanted to run out of TP in general. Yeah. No, right, right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's so funny coming from my Midwest roots, you know, where my grandparents canned and you, there was always, you know, a whole beef in the freezer or you actually canned your beef. Um, which I still do, and I still love it to death. Um, you know, and then going out west and then seeing the ranchers who maybe only made it to town. I mean, they're three hours from a Walmart. Mm-hmm. You get to town. You know the day ranchers come to town because Walmart shelves are cleared out. Yep. You know, you can always tell. Um, you know, so that mentality really stuck with me. And I, I know my husband gave me a lot of crap because – I, I still have that mentality, you know, if I always have, you know, one or two extra of everything. And then if my backup loses one, I got to get another one to go behind it. And, and I don't think he was ever so thankful of my mentality, you know, till a couple months ago when everything kind of hit, he's like, <laughs> we don't have to do anything. We're set. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> well, I, I did have to buy beer and restock the, the liquor cabinet. Uh, to, I, I will man, uh, fess up to that, but uh, right? there was reason yeah, behind so that. Did we. Why? We're so in the wrong industry. I mean, we need to own a liquor store is what I felt like I should have been into now. But, but yeah, we've even joked with a few of our farmers now who have made 24-pack case deliveries of beer to the locker and, you know... We might have to put a, a funny Facebook post out about that. If you want your beef butchered, you know, <laughs> well, one of, uh, must show up with beer. One of my uh, uh, one of my favorite college bars. I know you've been there. Is the Rock and R Bar, Main Street of Bozeman? Yes. Uh, my buddy Mike. I haven't been to the new Rock and R though. Yeah, because uh, for our listeners out there, uh, it was uh, ten years ago that there was a gas leak and part of Main Street in Bozeman, Montana, uh, exploded. And so they're brand new building, brand new rock and R bar there. Uh, and uh, my, my friend, Mike Hope owns that. And, and they have a, a great young couple that has a restaurant, uh, kind of a burger based uh, joint in there. It's called Hail Mary's. And they had the greatest uh, home delivery during our, our quarantine because actually we've had a lot of restrictions on COVID uh, lifted up here in sure. Montana because we're at about I net saw zero that. Um, and net zero right now uh, for cases. And uh, it would be. Uh, if you bought beer or liquor, it would be uh, a ten dollar uh, growler uh, of craft beer, your burger, <laughs> and then they also threw in a roll of toilet paper. And I'm like, that's the best marketing. Nice. <laughs> so you gotta love it. You know, the the fun thing is the creativity that's come out of this has been has been really fun to watch. Well, and I haven't had a ton of time for social media in all of this, but you know, some of the stuff I've I've gotten a kick out of. Well, I, I think one thing about it, I mean, there's a lot of frustration and across the countryside on producers' behalf, and, and I think it's understandable. Um, For sure. 
But I, I think also it, it's a time when folks are concerned about having that steady food supply. And I think it just brings back uh, the light on production agriculture across this nation and the important role that uh, ranchers and farmers play in, in putting food and fiber out onto the marketplace. Uh, and Lindsay, I know we, we've been talking uh, for over over an hour right now, uh, just under an hour. Um, and I know you, you got a crew working there today, and I, I actually have to go fix fence and get ready for branding here this weekend. <laughs> um, but I, I guess the one thing is, what is your tip maybe for the cattlemen and women that are tuned into this show today about uh, just uh, looking towards the future and, and just any last tips that you have for them, pandemic or not, on what they can do, do to improve their product that they raise? Oh... I don't know if I'm totally one to give anybody tips. I mean, I, I think, you know, just from my own personal experience, um, you know, I've gotten to work with a lot of really great people in the beef industry, whether they've been producers, processors, um, cow-calf projects, feedlots. Um, you know, really surround yourself with with quality people, first and foremost. I think I've learned um I've learned that to be very, very true. You know, um, people will teach you, you know, if you, you want to know and, and watch how they do things. Um, don't feel in competition. I think that was one thing I had to really learn, especially younger. You know, you always kind of feel like you're in competition and um, there's room for everybody in, in all these industries. And, um, you know, hang in there. There's going to be extremely tough times. Be involved, be active. Uh, that's definitely one thing I've learned. I've joined a lot of our smaller cattle groups, you know, in the local counties here, um, as well as be extremely active, you know, with the state level, learn what's going on. You know, maybe you need to make a phone call to your lobbyist, um, to your representative, whatever. And the thing I've really, really learned about politics and I was never one to think I would be interested in it. And now I'm hooked. Um, is you really see some of your representatives and they don't know anything about egg, you know, especially maybe what you specialize in and you need to teach them, you know, if you want things to go a specific way. Um, so stay active, get involved, surround yourself with quality people. I mean, I, Lane, I've never met you in person. I've listened to your podcast before, um, but we'd probably be good friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. We probably could have a beer. So I, you know, I think that's about all I, I have to offer. Just hang in there through everything now. And, and I think the world realizes, um, much more appreciation for, uh, people in this industry and, uh, are very, very grateful for what everybody does. And, and I just, I hope everything shines a light on this and, and maybe some things can get changed and policies can move. And, um, you know, I, I just hope it's a, a forward positive light on everything from here on out. So, and I hope everybody, nobody feels alone. I think everybody in every facet of agriculture is, is feeling it right now. So it's definitely an all together thing, even though if you're sitting in the tractor or feeding cows, you know, or pulling a calf in the middle of the night, you feel pretty alone, <laughs> yep. but you're not, you're not, we're all having those moments for sure. Yep. So, so yeah, other than that, Lane, thank you for letting me talk your ear off. 
No, I've enjoyed it, and I know our listeners will enjoy just the the, the topic of conversation and, and the tips that you've shared. And and I just you know I want to reiterate you know quality people uh, leads to quality cattle, and and that leads to quality beef. And and we're absolutely all in, and we're all in this together. Um, and I know we don't all agree on on everything, but you know blue's my favorite color, but red might be your favorite color. Um, you know, and uh, right. I, I, I just think uh, I, I, as a young producer myself, I'm excited about the future. Uh, we're in agriculture; we we always have issues, and uh, it's hard to always have a a headwind. But but we have to put our our, our head down and just continue to to fight to be able to raise uh, protein here in the U.S. Uh, um, right, absolutely. But I could run for office with that speech, Lindsay. Um, you sure could. It was a great <laughs> quote, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing about it, friends, uh, social media, where, where can folks uh, learn more about yourself in Blondie's Butcher Shop? Yes, our website just got revamped before all this stuff kind of took over. So um, we'll be up and going shortly. But, you know, always feel free to reach out if you have questions on anything, whatever state or part of the country you're from. Um, I love to hear from everybody. And. I can always give my two cents for whatever it's worth, you know, from my trials and errors, which I've had quite a few. Um, but blondiesbutchershop.com and uh, blondiesbutchershop at gmail.com is my email. Otherwise, on Facebook, Blondie's Butcher Shop, check us out. Give us a like or Blondie Butcher on Instagram. Do you want me to keep going? All these social media formats now. I, I, yeah, I, um, as long as, as, long as you have, <laughs> you can list them. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I can keep up with them all myself. But yeah, no, this was this was great. I look forward to hearing from anybody who has questions or wants to chat about maybe something I do a little differently or maybe I can learn something, vice versa. So, so yeah, this is really great. I'm so glad you've been doing these podcasts. Um, what an incredible resource for for everybody in the industry right now. So, and always for that matter. Well, I just uh, enjoy being able to just share people's stories and uh, help uh, pay my cow note at the bank as well. Um, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Isn't that the truth? But uh, again, Lindsay Fulton Loken with Blondie's Butcher Shop. Uh, again, check her out online for more resources and to learn more about her story. Uh, Lindsay, I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lane, and and good luck branding. Have a calf fry for me before the dog gets them. <laughs> oh, we will. All right. <laughs> Again, friends, thank you so much for answering the call. That, of course, being the Cattleman's Call. I'm Lane Nordland. For more information, visit us online at ncba.org and, and share your thoughts or suggestions for future shows there on the Cattleman's Call tab. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.